0: What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another edition of Up in Flames here on Dash Radio on the Nothing But Net channel. As always, I'm your host, Mo Murphy, uh, VP of Off The Ball Network. Make sure you go check out offtheballnetwork.com. I got an amazing guest on the show, one of the most intelligent basketball minds that I've listened to here, really on this Twitter space, social media space, however you want to look at it. He has a great podcast, but we'll bring him in right after this.
1: Warning, you are now listening to up in flames. We up in flames,
0: yeah. We up in flames, yeah, yeah, Let me hear it, Lambo. We up in flames. We up in flames. We up in flames, yeah. We up in flames, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We up in flames, yeah, yeah, uh. We up in flames. Hold on, uh. Check this go. We up in flames, yeah. We up in. Yeah. Yeah, we up in flames, yeah. Woo. We up in. Yeah. We up in flames. We up in flames. Once again, welcome back to another edition of Up in Flames here on Dash Radio on the Nothing but Net channel. And as promised, I got a great guest in the building. Y'all might know him as Combo. We got Combo, the host of Combo's court, the co-host for the Orlando Magic. He he hosts the uh, co-host the Orlando Magic podcast on the Believe Podcast Network. Combo, what's going on, bro?
1: I'm doing well. What a fantastic intro, man. You got me hyped.
0: Oh, I appreciate it, man. Yeah, I I hope, you know, the intro kind of sets the tone, kind of the mantra of just up in flames and and bringing the energy. And I know you're going to bring that. So I brought you on. Obviously, we're talking NBA, but before we kind of get into the opening weekend of the playoffs, some of our takeaways, a little bit of MVP talk, uh, Marcus Smart won Defensive Player of the Year, so we'll get some thoughts on that, but just kind of tell everybody what you do, You know, tell everybody about your show, and just kind of what got you started.
1: So yeah, it all started, I was uh, finishing up my career overseas, and I definitely wanted to get into media, or play-by-play, or color commentary, or anything to that effect, and the easiest way to get into Speaking basketball or talking basketball, I thought was starting a podcast, so I started Combos Court. Man, and now we're 350 episodes, over 350 episodes in. I think we started at the end of 2017, so we've been doing it for a while now. A lot of great guests, a lot of guests you probably heard of, former NBA players, you know, ESPN, Fox Sports personalities, and everything in between, from battle rappers to platinum recording artists, like anything you could think of, man. Um, I know, you know, my guy, Foamy Simpson, you know, sneaker legends, everything, man, everything. So we got, we get all kinds of guests on, uh, cognitive scientists. So yeah, we, we cover a wide ranging topics, but it's really basketball focused because basketball has been something I've basically been obsessed with since the age of seven and uh, I've been doing it ever since, and I haven't stopped till this day. I'm still working on my game. And if you follow me on uh, Instagram, you can see me playing one on one or working on my game every once in a while. But yeah, man, thanks so much for having me on the show, Mo. Really appreciate you.
0: Oh, 100 percent bro. Like I like I said, I've been following your work for a while now, probably over a year. Uh you've had some some guests that I've had on the show. You work with Mac Van Auken covering the Orlando Magic. Uh I've had, to Max. That's yeah, to Max. my guy Max, he's he's a friend of the show. Uh, and been on multiple times. I've been on his platform. Uh, we do a lot of great work together. Um, and, and then, like you said, I just, you know, one of your latest episodes, you had uh, Fomer Simpson, foamy Simpson, aka I know him as Mike. You know him as Mike. You know, uh, I've known him for a long time. So when I seen you have him, I'm like, man, he, we've had so many common guests. I gotta get him on here so we can talk. So we're gonna jump straight into it and we're gonna talk about the opening weekend. So just we don't necessarily have to hit it series by series, but just kind of. You know, Saturday and Sunday, we had the play in, but Saturday and Sunday was game one of uh, every series uh, going on right now in the NBA playoffs. What were some, were there surprises to you? What were some of your takeaways just from game one of the opening weekend?
1: The two most interesting series to me was Minnesota Memphis and Celtics Nets. And they did not disappoint. Those games did not disappoint. And I, I think what even made Minnesota Memphis even more interesting now is Minnesota got the first one. So this is going to probably be a long series, and I'm looking forward to it. I've talked about Anthony Edwards a lot on my podcast and even pre-draft that, man, I thought he had the best chance to become a superstar in that draft class. Um, I know other other people argued mellow and other people as well, and he was very scrutinized as that number one pick, I felt like. But now, you know, over this past season, i kind of been talking about how I think he's a future MVP, and I'm pretty confident he'll become that and he's showing some of that right now with that first game scoring 30-plus against a really good Memphis team. That series is going to be super interesting. And obviously Celtics-Nets, um, what a finish, right, with the Jason Tatum yeah, layout? A crazy finish. Crazy finish, and Kyrie put on a show. So that's really always great to see somebody cook up their old team, especially yeah. in the fashion Kyrie did it. We don't always see it in the fashion – that Kyrie did it in terms of how he was uh, interacting with the fans. But that was just an amazing game, man. Honestly, like, it was an all-timer, in my opinion. That was a great, great game. And so those were my two biggest takeaways and biggest games from game one of uh, all these series.
0: Yeah, and I think think the Nets and Celtics game probably was even better than anticipated. And Mm. I think that's the most evenly matched uh, series in the first round. I think the Minnesota-Memphis as well. Those were the two I was looking forward to. So, like, to touch on the Minnesota-Memphis series, it's a lot of young players. Like, it's a lot of guys of the future. You know, Carl Anthony Towns really hasn't – he's entering his prime. Anthony Edwards, you think, is going to be a future MVP. Obviously, Ja Morant is up for most improved player, which I almost think is contradicting with Ja actually being eligible for that. I think he's more of, like, an MVP candidate than a most improved guy, but it's so many young guys, what Desmond Bain, Jaron Jackson, Jr. So in that series, uh, you, how does that like set the tone for what the future of the, like, like, is this series something that tells you like, this is what we got to look forward to this, these type of matchups, this type of talent for the next 10 to 15 years of the NBA.
1: It's always hard to say 10 to 15 years. Cause we got to hope and pray that everybody stays healthy there. Um, the NBA's turnover of stars and just players in general is so high, but I think it is because the way Memphis plays, I think is the future of the NBA having a star that blends in so well with the rest of the team. It's not really of the Luca LeBron Trey young mold. It's a different kind of mold with Ja, cause he really blends in well. And you even say they play great when he's not there. It's not yeah. like they fall off their record might've even been better without him. So I do think, the future of the NBA is going away from like heliocentric type basketball, which is the type of basketball that one player really dominates, dominates the ball. Obviously, Trey Young is going to have the ball the most, but I think that team is a team and I don't think it all depends on Trey Young. And I do think that's where the NBA is going. Not having that one guy that just does everything right. Yeah. Um. In terms of Minnesota, man, I mean, yeah, I think Anthony Edwards is the future. I think he's going to be a top five player very soon and him and Kat are going to be tough to deal with for years to come because obviously they're not on the exact same timeline, but they're both really young and could play together for a really long time. And as I said, I think Anthony Edwards is a future MVP.
0: Yeah. And I think so when I watch Anthony Edwards and and I see some of these big time stars in these small time markets. So like, I don't, I've never understood how Atlanta isn't a spot that like free agents would love to go with knowing like how great culturally the the city of atlanta I, is i, I atlanta love i, I
1: love i love atlanta i love it yeah, like
0: everybody atlanta. loves atlanta like it's a yeah. sought after tourist destination people love going to atlanta uh unfortunately the all-star game had to be in atlanta during covid so it right. couldn't really get the full impact for the city that that you would expect in an all-star game so but atlanta's a small market minnesota so i'm looking and i'm just starting to think to myself like and we may be seeing it with zion in new orleans is is it gonna be tough? You think for Minnesota to keep Anthony Edwards outside of his rookie contract? Because the history tells us he's gonna resign with Minnesota and then maybe look to venture out after that second contract. Because guys play through their rookie contract, the second contract they get the bag, and then they they enter in their prime. Now they're kind of they've set the tone of who they are. Now they're. I guess you could say chasing championships. What what city? Where do I want to go? Uh, business ventures, who's gonna give me the best chance of winning a championship? Do you see it being a trend where like Anthony Edwards, Zion? I don't think Trey Young would leave Atlanta. I think he's accepting and owning the city of Atlanta. But do you see like even Luca, guys like that? Like, do you see them even re-signing? Because because of how much money is out there in the business venture? Do you see like the small markets being able to keep these stars such as like Anthony Edwards and Zion?
1: Well, Zion, I think there's a great chance that he'll leave eventually. But when it comes to Ja and Anthony Edwards, I don't know them personally, so I don't know this for sure. But they give me the vibes that they're guys that could stay for the long term. And especially Ja And that. I mean, he owns that city of Memphis and I think yeah. he'll be there for a long time. And they're already really good. I mean, they're considered contenders, so there's no reason for him to leave. Anthony Edwards seems like a different kind of character. So I think he's going to, I think there's a great chance he could stay as well. Like those two, I'm really looking forward to seeing those two guys stay. And I think they will. Zion, I mean, if you read between the lines, it doesn't seem like he wants to be there or his camp himself and the franchise aren't all on the same page. I mean, I think that's pretty obvious at this point. So there's a great chance he's not going to finish his career with the Pelicans. Um, Luca, I think he's like maybe in between that. Um, yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if he left, but I wouldn't be surprised if he stayed. So, yeah, I think they're all in different situations, but with John ja Anthony Edwards, I think they're really going to stay with their franchise. I think they will.
0: I think those are the guys, the vibe, like you said, uh, you know, John ja got the keys to Memphis money bag. Yo just gave him a chain. Like he's hanging out with the rappers. Memphis is becoming like a hot city. Uh, uh, especially like, you know, um, in the urban culture right now, a lot of the rappers are coming out there. Like it's a hot topic being in Memphis and John kind of got the keys there. And like you said, Anthony Edwards kind of different. Like he seems like that guy that will, you know, make himself a superstar in in his situation. And he's not looking at market. Like he's marketable no matter where he goes. And and I love it. he He gives great interviews when he speaks. It's just all like, you never see him in a bad mood. You never see him upset. Like, Eddie Edwards seems like that guy that you want to keep around for the long haul. Obviously, Minnesota will throw whatever money they can throw at him to keep him there. But it's just one of those conversations where it's starting to become like a possibility of will it be a trend that guys don't resign after their rookie deal? And that's something we're not used to, because after that rookie deal, that's the first time all those soon to be superstars, borderline all stars can get that first like. Real bag. We see LeBron stay in Cleveland, Mellow. All those guys stay and stay through two contracts essentially, and then they start to move on. They want to play here. They get interested there. So that's just something I wanted to hit on a little bit. So, like speaking of Trey Young, he, he he played terrible. He, he played terrible in, in Game One. I'm a Heat fan, so I love to see it. But I think Trey Young is one of those players. Like, okay, he played bad. I'm expecting thirty the next game. What is it that you saw Miami do that they were able to contain Trey Young in essentially a way we haven't seen them be contained all season?
1: They're really smart. They're veteran players. And the word that comes to mind when I think of Miami is toughness, right? They're super tough. Heat culture is a real thing. And they're very prepared. The heat are a team that overly prepare, not in a bad way, in a good way. And the most professional, one of the most professional teams in basketball. When I think of culture, I think of Spurs, Heat. Memphis is starting to get there. Um, Toronto, the Warriors. Like, these teams really have great culture. And the Heat are just super tough. And they could throw some length at Trey and kind of get him off his sphere a little bit. But as you said, great players always find a way to come back. KD didn't play great first game. Uh, Trey didn't play great as Trey didn't play great either, but I think they'll both come back strong.
0: Yeah, and I'm looking at Trey, and like I said, I'm like, I man, had eight points. What was he, one for 17, 0 for 9 from three. Like, I'm like, the Heat took advantage of kind of setting the tone in game one, but then when I look at like, okay, I think he'll probably bounce back. I'm expecting 30 in game two, but what I noticed for me is like, I'm watching Miami, and I'm like, okay, I think missing Clint Capella is huge for Atlanta, and the reason why is because we know Bam Adebayo can switch uh, defensively. He could guard really all five positions. He's not at a mismatch if he finds himself one-on-one on the wing with Trey. And I think with Clint Capella not being there, that keeps Bam Adebayo not having to be honest and, and basically stay in the paint. So it allows him to come up there. When they come and set the screen, he can switch. He could pop out and basically keep honest and be a, a-, a wing defender because Clint Capella's not down there. John Collins isn't a guy that's going to dominate down low. If you switch, uh, you find PJ Tucker on John Collins and you find Bam guarding Trey Young, there's not really a disadvantage with John Collins. Like, you're not like, oh, that's an immediate mismatch and he's going to be able to take advantage. So that's where I'm looking at. Like, Clint Capella is very important to, to basically them being able to roll offensively because if you can't keep Bam in that paint and he could switch on everybody on G- Gallinari, Herder, Trey Young, I think that becomes a problem because obviously he's a lot bigger than him. Uh, Were you surprised that that game was a blowout or was that kind of like, is is that an uneven series in your mind?
1: I mean, the Heat been a better basketball team than the Hawks all season. So I wasn't super surprised, but that's a great point you had because Clint Capella is a vertical lob threat. We always think about gravity when it comes to three-point shooters, but when you have that lob threat, that gives you gravity as well towards the rim and kind of balances out your offense. So that was a great point by you.
0: Yeah. Cause it's just, that's what I noticed. And I said that prior, you know, prior to the gameplay, I'm like, they're going to miss Clint Capella because like I said, we do have what damn out of bio. We got PJ Tucker, but like if, if Clint Capella gets his back to the basket, he got PJ Tucker on him. Yes. PJ Tucker stuff. He can make it tough for Clint Capella, but I feel like that results in a bucket, a missed shot or, or a foul by PJ Tucker where they kind of lose uh, that aspect now with losing him. So, I think they're going to they he's going he's not going to play game 2. He could come back game 3. I think that's going to be very important cuz I think Atlanta's going to find themselves coming out of Miami down 2-0 anyway, and obviously that game 3 is going to be obviously the most important. And then we'll, we'll go back to even the Boston and Brooklyn series. This is probably the best matchup, most even matchup. Uh I think Brooklyn I don't think they needed to take that the the game one, and everybody was like, ah, they should have stole it. And I'm like, they're fine though. With them, with KD playing bad and still having an opportunity to win the game, I think like I'm looking at it as a positive. Kyrie went off, but he's not one of those guys where like, oh, he only goes off once or twice a series. Like, this is a guy who could do that every game and, and could literally take over a series. So, like, I, I even seen some Boston fans like, oh, Kyrie's not gonna do that again. I'm like, this is literally a walking 30 plus point a night type of guy. So it I think Boston needed that win more than Brooklyn for the simple fact like Brooklyn could walk away and be like, all right, KD played bad. Kyrie played amazing. We'll get another performance like that from Kyrie. KD probably won't be that inefficient and that turnover prone. He kind of went back to like the Oklahoma City. Kevin Durant, like we're so used to him playing efficient basketball since he's been with Golden State and beyond. But it kind of reminded me of like the OKC Kevin Durant. Do you think who who do you have winning that series? Who
1: who who did you take Boston or did you take Brooklyn? I never made like a public prediction, but I think I'll I'll take the Nets. Kind of to your point that I mean, Katie is not going to play like this again, and I don't think the theory that Kyrie like wasted a performance is a great theory either. As we've seen, like his efficiency is crazy; it's bananas. He could do this really often. He's shooting like. I don't know, 44% on really tough three-pointers on high volume throughout the whole season. And he's been a 50-40-90 guy before. And it's this is not going to go away. This Kyrie is not going to go away. And KD will play better. I was saying it like during the game, I thought even though that Celtics ended up winning, that KD had a terrible first half and the score was tied. So I'm like, yeah. it can't be a good look for Boston, even though they ended up winning at the buzzer. So yeah, to your point, I mean, KD's not going to play like that. And he is the best player on the court. And when you have the best player on the court, I always think that gives you a great chance to win it all. But Boston has been the better team all year. So (laughs) I'm not going to be surprised if Boston wins, but I'll go with the Nets.
0: Yeah, and I went with the Nets too. I think, now I do think the Nets have to win it in six. And I know like, okay, they essentially saying that they got to win four of the next five. which I think is very possible. And I think we'd be looking at the series a whole lot different if Jason Tatum doesn't make that layup. Because, like you said, we'd be able to take away like Brooklyn was able to pull out that win with a bad performance from KD. So we can only imagine what it's going to be like because Boston kind of played great all the way around. Jason Tatum played amazing. Jalen Brown came to play. Uh, Marcus Smart got fried defensively. Uh, We'll we'll get into him a little bit, but he did get fried. But I'm not going to kill him for that. Can't nobody guard Kyrie when he's on fire. So it's not a knock on Marcus Smart and his defensive prowess. Nobody's guarding. Uh, nobody's guarding Kyrie. Now the surprise game for me was how bad offensively the Milwaukee and Chicago game was. Like, I mean, Demar Derozan shot terribly. Uh, neither side could really get offense going. What What was your thoughts kind of going through when you were watching Game One of a Chicago and Milwaukee?
1: I just wanted to make one point with the Boston Nets series. Um, that final play, it really all came down to Marcus Smart. Mm-hmm. Because. He could have shot that jump shot and there's a good chance he would have missed that jump shot the way people were closing out on him but just to have that savvy to know where the clock is and you know make that pass that was just a phenomenal play by Marcus Smart and I look at that more than the layup that actually was the game winner for Boston you know
0: Yeah and that, that was, was it was a hell of a play like it was it was a that's why they say you know basketball is more mental than physical because physically Marcus Smart could have tried to take the shot Thought he could make it. He is an NBA player. You know, he can't make shots like that. But at the end of the day, like, it took that mental part to kind of dribble, dribble. Oh, I see him cutting, and he caught him perfect. Like, had he waited half a second, that pass would have been behind Jason Tatum, and it probably would have been a turnover. The clock would have ran out, too. So there was a lot of things to take away from that one play, which was basically great on Jason Tatum, seeing, like, that he had an advantage if he cut to the basket with Kyrie being down there, and great on Marcus Smart for actually
1: seeing it. Yeah, most definitely. I want to hear your thoughts on um Chicago Bucks, though.
0: So that game surprised me because it was essentially terrible offensively, and I, I'm not surprised that Milwaukee played as well as they did defensively. But I'm surprised that with them playing as great, there weren't a lot of points scored on Milwaukee's end. Neither team got to 100. Uh, we saw that even with the Jazz and Mavericks game. I'm not really surprised there, but. Well, look at Milwaukee when they play great defensively. Chicago has been horrible on the defensive end all season. So for Milwaukee to have played as well as they could and never get really offense going,
1: I, 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 I would, that would surprise me. I wouldn't say all season. I mean, when Caruso and Lonzo were in full effect.
0: Yeah, yeah, in the was, beginning of the season, yeah. but it did change when Caruso was gone and then Lonzo. So, but it was like since then they they've really been bad and they don't match up well against top teams. One in the Eastern Conference, really top teams in the NBA. So with Milwaukee playing so great defensively, I was surprised they couldn't never really get it going offensively. So I I almost think that series is going to be lopsided as well. I think Milwaukee wins that one in 5. What about you?
1: Yeah, I would agree with you. I think Milwaukee's definitely going to win that series. It might look a little bit different if they were fully healthy. Like Lonzo. Yeah, I think Lonzo makes a
0: huge difference in essence.
1: He's a high impact player. He's he's a totally different player than Drew Holiday, but he kind of has that underappreciated impact, right? Like a Drew Holiday has. And I don't think he's as good as Drew Holiday, but they're kind of that guy that they need that really impacts winning.
0: And everything's not on. We're, we're in such an analytical world now that people don't just watch the sport of basketball and like believe what your eyes are telling you. So they go straight to the stat sheet and like, Lonzo might have a game where he only had 12 points and four or five assists or whatever, but like his impact on the game was a lot bigger than the stat sheet, even though like he was playing well, like where you look statistically and like he's playing well, but even like with Drew Holiday, Drew Holiday might have 12 points one game, but like they won the game based on his prowess defensively based on him running the offense. And I know DeMar DeRozan can run the offense. Uh, and, and I think that's kind of what was put him in the MVP candidate talk at one point throughout the season when he had that long stretch. But mm-hmm. I think Alonzo is huge, like you said, defensively, but I think just the way he runs the offense and he brings another aspect scoring wise, cause he can shoot better. Now he's found himself essentially offensively where he's not an elite offensive talent, but he's got the IQ and knows like he takes good shots. He knows, you know, the fine guys in his spots. Like he just has that connection with his teammates. And I think that's an aspect that Chicago was going to miss in this series, let alone just missing the playoffs period, which is kind of unfortunate for Chicago, because I think with Lonzo, I think they're just as good as anybody else in the Easter conference. And to me, that's a Testament to where Lonzo got drafted and people were kind of leaning towards, he might be a bust. to like, he got traded to new Orleans, started finding himself and we're like, okay, this guy's a good player. And then you kind of seen him start to put it all together in the beginning of the season with Chicago. And you're like, okay, He's blossoming into what he, what his game is going to be for the future. So it's unfortunate that we don't get to see a young guy because a lot of the young guys are taking over this playoffs and, and they're the topic of conversation. And to me, it's unfortunate that Lonzo doesn't get to be a part of that conversation.
1: Yeah, I totally agree with you with everything you're saying about Lonzo. I've been high on Lonzo for a long time, and I think he's going to be a great player for years to come.
0: Yeah, he, and he's the one guy I'm like, I don't think they should have been so willing to trade you know, when they made the trade for Anthony Davis, like they were so adamant on keeping Kyle Kuzman. I'm like, I think you should keep Lonzo. I think that's the guy that is going to help LeBron in the long haul. Uh, And they've been searching for that Lonzo ball type player ever since they made that trade for Anthony Davis, bringing in like an old Rondo, uh, you know, two years ago. And then they brought in Westbrook because they're looking for a guy who can hold down the offense, make sure everything still runs smooth when LeBron's not on the court. And I do think, that Lonzo would have been able to be that guy, so I think that's an aspect when you look back at the trade. I think they should have been more willing to hold on to Lonzo and more willing uh, to give up Kyle Kuzma. So, so we talked. We we broke down some series. Uh, I want to talk MVP. That's probably you know that's the topic of conversation. I think it's a three headed race. MVP for you. First off, how do you define who your MVP is? And and on a yearly basis, not just this year, like when you're evaluating who your MVP is, what are you fully
1: looking at? I think who had the best season, really? I mean, I think it's that simple for me. Who had the best season, not necessarily the best player in the league, but just who had the best season that year. And um, preseason, I had Jokic. Midseason, I had Jokic and I still have Jokic. I think Jokic is the MVP. I think he did more with less than the other candidates. I think he really carried that team with their two other max players, not even playing all the advanced numbers is crazy in his favor. Like he's having all time seasons, right? Like when you look at the advanced numbers, he's like doing Michael Jordan type stuff or even better than Michael Jordan type seasons, the way he makes everybody around him better, could score on three levels. Is the point center for that team, is everything for that team. You put him on most, mostly, I don't know, you could put him on like 10 other teams and swap out their best player, and I think they'll be like legit contenders, you know? So they would have been legit contenders if they had Murray and. Yeah. Um, who am I missing here? Porter. There you go. Michael Porter Jr. I like, I love his game. So yeah, like if they're missing those guys. They're not legit contenders, but I just think he did more with with less than the other contestants and the numbers is just outstanding.
0: Yeah, and I think like for me, my MVP is M B, and I think Jokic, he's essentially been better. And it's so close between him and M B. But I think Jokic has the nod, especially when you talk about the advanced numbers and the analytics. And I think this three headed race, I think it's being between MB, Giannis and Jokic. I'm not an analytical guy. But you have to, when you're, for me, when I'm evaluating MVP, I have to find some kind of ground where I'm like, what separates them when it's this close? And that's where I kind of get into the advanced numbers. I think with Jokic, he's not exciting. So there are some people that are shying away. And I don't mean exciting, like he's exciting for a real basketball mind. But as a fan, you don't fall in love with Jokic's game.
1: I don't know. People used to love Magic Johnson's passing, like the casual fan. So I, I don't know. I think people should find him excited. He's one of the greatest passers we've ever seen. Yeah, and, and I appreciate
0: his – and it's like – but he's not like – he he's not coming down the lane and just dunking on everybody. His He can handle the ball, but he's not making anybody drop with his ball handles. Like he doesn't have those – he has those flashy passes. And, you know, he's one of those guys, like if you watch him the whole game – He's just, he's putting in work and his 30 could come off as a silent 30 because his play has just been consistent throughout the whole game. He may have a big quarter or he might score 30 and he had eight in the first quarter, nine in the second quarter, went for 12 in the third quarter and like 14 in the fourth. So everything was consistent where his numbers don't necessarily come in spurts. They come through like the whole part of the game. And I think another thing is like when you think about Jokic. Everybody always wants to put everybody in some all-time conversation. So, like, the the precedent in the territory that he'd be entering if he wins back-to-back MVP still hasn't won a championship yet. I think, I think by the end of his career he'll get one. But championships are tough to come by. But we get those few players that win multiple and we think everybody needs or everybody is able to win a championship. But I think with Jokic winning back-to-back MVP, I think that kind of puts him in a in a boat that people aren't ready to see Jokic in, essentially. Like the media and some of like the casual fans aren't really ready. He went his back to back MVP. Like we're putting him in that, like he's right behind some of the greatest centers of all time. And we're looking at over the next couple of years, like, can he pass some of those guys? Then you're looking at the next thing is does a championship put him ahead of this center or that center? Because what he's done the past, what, three to four years has essentially been historically Great. And I think people just hesitate to put a guy like Jokic and then he's not media friendly. Like he doesn't, yeah. there's not a lot of great interviews by him. He,
1: he, doesn't even have, he doesn't even have social media.
0: Yeah. Like he's not a media guy. So I think that's another thing is like, he's not a person that fans can fall in love with because he doesn't have much of a personality, I guess it is. I guess what I'm getting towards is it finds you tough to fall in love with Jokic if you're not like... We watch basketball, but we watch... You're saying saying
1: he's not that marketable. That's basically what you're saying.
0: Yeah, like, essentially, and I think that's where people are like, no way this guy could win back-to-back MVP. Yeah, he's a great player, but he's not marketable. He, You know, he's not on these commercials we don't see him on social media we don't get to know him so people haven't been able to fall in love with him he, but doesn't,
1: he doesn't he doesn't have like the magnetism of a John moran or an anthony edwards exactly where
0: they they give us their personality we get to know but he's,
1: but he's still the most valuable
0: yeah he is but I, for me it's in beat and hmm. it's it's so tough but i'm going in beat and i think because as we get closer towards the end of the season we tend to forget What guys did in the beginning and I think it's I think it's been overlooked at what Embiid has essentially had to do to keep Philly afloat now I know that kind of went out the window once they acquired James Harden at the trade deadline but this we've seen this as a team that like they possibly could have fell off the wayside if Embiid ever got hurt for a stretch like we're like this is a bad team at this point Uh, everything with the Ben Simmons saga, like how does he step up as a leader and kind of take that on and be that go-to guy. And we knew he was going to have to be an MVP candidate for Philly to be good. But I think we don't talk about that because the trade happened. Ben Simmons is gone. Harden's there. So now we don't give him the benefit of the doubt. And then in what the month of March, Jokic, what he averaged like 33 points a game. Like he almost averaged a 30 point triple double. So he finished the season strong. And I think it, sometimes not just MVP but a lot of the awards is like what have you done for me lately and we forget about like we start discounting all 82 games and we start worrying about post all-star break I think that's when everybody starts making their stamp on these awards and I just think it's what MB did in the beginning of the season kind of gets overlooked
1: yeah well when it comes to rookie of the year I think Cade Cunningham was by far rookie of the year for the second half of the season but overall I would give it to scotty barnes from what he did from beginning till end and a lot of that wasn't Cade's fault i mean he was injured in the beginning um and i'm really high on both those guys but i would have scotty barnes as the rookie of the year for kind of the reason you're talking about just from beginning to end he's had the best season
0: yeah and but it's like because you know the media votes so like you know it's not necessarily guys like us who really watch basketball know or watch they're they're watching from a Casual standpoint, catching the highlights and essentially making a vote, not really diving into basketball all the time. But I'm okay with Jokic if he wins back to back MVP. Like I wouldn't be like, oh, Embiid got robbed or Giannis got robbed. I think out of those. Now, if it was anybody other than those three, I'd be absolutely shocked. But I think from what we're seeing, it's probably Embiid or Jokic. And I think a lot of people are leaning uh, towards Jokic. An award has been passed out as well. Defensive player of the year. Shout out to Marcus Smart, the first guard. Uh, to win Defensive Player of the Year since 1995 96. And that was none other than Gary the Glove Peyton, who presented Marcus Smart with the re- with the award. But in the past hour, you know, since it's, you know, uh, it kind of got announced pregame, there's been a lot of backlash for Marcus Smart winning defensive player of the year. Do you think he like deserved to win defensive player of the year? Or was that a guy who really wasn't even in your top three?
1: Oh no, he was my top one. I've talked about this before. I was actually on the Veteran Minimums podcast with Nick. And I told him that that was my defensive player of the year. He's the best defensive player on the best defensive team. Some would say Robert Williams is the best defensive player, but um, he hasn't been available the whole season. You mm-hmm. know, he was available for a lot of it. But, you know, a lot of the defensive metrics are going to always point to big men because they're always in the play. They're anchoring the defense. But when it comes to Marcus Smart, his versatility on the defensive side is just amazing. And I would have him as the, the defensive player of the year. That was an interesting comment you made. You don't think people are watching basketball that have votes? I, I don't think I could totally agree with that. I'm, I'm, sure, I'm, sure, I'm sure a lot of them are watching basketball.
0: I think there's some that that, that really don't, though. Like, <laughs> I really believe that. Like, I believe there is some that get a vote. Like, they casually watch it, but they don't dive deep. And I think some people have votes that don't fully understand like what you should be watching when you're voting for these awards. I'm not saying everybody, I'm not calling out the whole board of votes, uh, from, from media members, but I do think there's some people in there that like, they probably shouldn't have a vote. I don't really necessarily have a name to it, but I just, there's, there's been some questionable ones where I'm like, are you watching basketball? Like, like I respect people.
1: Are you watching basketball? You don't have to give me any names, but give me an example of a award that was like that. Somebody got a vote. That was crazy.
0: In recent memory. You know what? I, I'll give you I'll give you an example of somebody. And he, somebody I actually like listen to. I question whether Nick Wright watches basketball sometimes. I really do. And the reason why is his hate for Jokic lately has been like, and then Chris Broussard does get a vote. I know he always talks about he gets a vote, but it's guys like that, that that have the biggest platforms. And some of the things he said, hating on Jokic, he'd be the he's the last year when he won MVP. He's the worst MVP we've ever seen as far as like individual players, He's the worst guy to ever win the MVP. Like I think com- comments like that is where I'm like. Do you, are have you been watching the game? Like are you watching what you're waking up and talking about the next day? Like am I wrong for thinking that about some of the media guys?
1: I'm sure it's possible. I mean, Nick Wright, I think a lot of that is um you know, he probably says things for entertainment purposes. Who knows if he believes everything he's saying, but I think he's funny. Um <laughs> I don't like when media members, not talking about Nick Wright specifically, like just kind of dismissive of certain players, you know, they don't really appreciate um, some how high level some of these guys really are when it comes to the game of basketball. So as long as you're respectful, I'm cool with it. I do think a lot of them watch the game because I think there's like a lot of guys who really pay attention to the analytics too. And those guys are often not only paying attention to the analytics, they're paying attention to the video as well. But you're right. I mean, when you have that many guys voted, there's probably going to be a guy that's not watching. But I don't think it's the majority though. I'm sure a lot of them are watching. <laughs>
0: I don't know, baby. I think we we probably. Uh, I won't say it's a majority, but I think there's a good enough amount because it's what like eighty some people I think that vote or something like that. Especially for like the big time awards, like MVP.
1: So, 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 you, so you like you think like fifty of them aren't watching?
0: I would say I would say about twenty five which is not the vast majority, but that's enough where, like, if I got 25 of the 85 people in the room making a vote, like, that could make an impact if they're just like, ah, I haven't been watching this guy enough, but I know he's put up great numbers, so let me look at the box score real quick before I determine who I'm going to put in. Yeah,
1: I mean, but that's that's probably what somebody who wouldn't vote for, he would probably vote for one of the top three, right? So there's probably a lot of that. Like, oh, like, everybody is saying Embiid, Jokic, Giannis. Let me just vote for one of them. I think that's probably what they would do. So,
0: yeah, I mean, yeah, I guess I I, I, I agree with that. And uh, and then to the Marcus Smart point for Defensive Player of the Year, I agree with you. I I think in, in what you said earlier with MVP is like I think we overthink these awards sometimes. You said it is simple for you. Who was the best? Pl- who had the best season? It ain't always the best player. Because if we gave it to the best player, then we'd only have like one MVP every set, six or seven years. Cause you go back, you're like Jordan ran like eight to 10 years where he was hands down the best player. So he's going to win the MVPs. Then Kobe had a stretch. Then LeBron had a stretch. So essentially we'd be giving the same guy MVP if we don't award guys individually on the season. And I think even with defensive Player of the year, you said it best. Like he's the best defender on the best defensive team. What, what like, what is there to really argue there? But there's been a lot of backlash I don't know if you've been on Twitter you know, prior to the show or anything, but there was a lot of backlash. People could not believe Marcus Smart won Defensive Player of the Year.
1: Who did they have? Rudy Gobert again? Rudy Gobert
0: was, was a guy. I mean, like,
1: I, there's an argument for Rudy every year. He really is a phenomenal defensive player. Um, I think that team wasn't as good this year, and I think the numbers might have been slightly down with the combination of voters' fatigue that nobody wants to see that anymore, especially when at times, even though Jazz fans would disagree. He loses value in the postseason, so yeah. I think a lot of that, all of that, goes into it. Like you could probably look at numbers and find a way to make it so that a pretty strong case that Rudy Gobert is the the most valuable defensive player. But I don't know, man. I'm not going with Rudy again. I'm 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 not I'm I'm done with that. Uh, and I just think that Marcus Smart had the better season. Like, I yeah, just, and his like he did, and and like look at that, like, their team was just a lot better, like you know a lot better. Like yeah, and Rudy's
0: numbers went down, and the yeah. Jazz team defense 100%. went down a little bit. I think they were what the 11th best team defensively. We're so used to them being a top five team defensively, so and his numbers went down a little bit. I mean, probably Depend- went like two point two blocks to one point
1: nine, but still, it went down a little bit. Advanced defensive metrics don't tell you as much as like offensive advanced metrics so it's kind of like it's a tricky situation when you start looking at the numbers um i'm sure you can find a way to make rudy gobert the defensive player of the year with those numbers but it's just different on defense when you're looking at those
0: yeah and then like you said it's a favorable uh it's a favorable award for big men Mm -hmm. because especially the defensive rebound they're they're they're
1: they're anchoring the whole defense so they're in every play yeah you know like like if you're a wing you might be weak side and not you know even be Exactly, exactly, yeah.
0: And then you might be like you said you might be on the weak side and you're not going in for the rebound. The big man's there for the defensive rebound. There's there's other aspects that favor them. So before we close out, I want to ask and, and I'm going to word this it, not pressure, but when it comes to winning a championship this year, who are the couple of players that you're looking at that either validates their career or you're looking like they need one to kind of solidify or refrain from the narrative changing, you know, about them as an individual player. Like who, who is it that you're looking at? Like, yeah, this guy needs a championship or I think this could help this guy tremendously. Cause when it comes to legacy, I think we throw that word around too much. And I always say we put the word legacy, everybody's painting, a chasing a legacy, but I'm like, everybody's not going to have the legacy and it goes to my point like when i say this like for an example everybody's like oh bradley bill needs to get out of washington if he wants to have any type of legacy and i'm like does anybody really care if bradley bill wins a championship like if bill goes and plays for with philly and he, it's him hardening and beat and he wins a championship does that change how you look at him as an individual player where you would put him all time no. So like for me, it would be no. So that's why I'm like, everybody doesn't necessarily have a legacy. Or if we're going to so loosely use that word, their legacy could just be, I had a great career. I was a great score. You know, I ended up winning a championship. But I'm like the guy who's the third best player on a championship team really isn't going to have some major legacy. Bradley Bill could win three championships, never be the best player on the team. And we would never look at him and be like, yeah, man, that was one of the five best shooting guards of all time I've ever watched. So That's why I get into, I think legacy gets thrown loosely. What do you, so is it, who's your focus on, on like they need to win a championship this year?
1: Well, to your Bradley Beal point, like let's say he went to the Lakers and they win a championship and LeBron declines a little bit and AD comes out of shape again and he's their best player. I think that does a lot for his legacy. Like it matters the situation in which that player did it, right? Yeah, okay, yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah, if, if if he's clearly the third best player, then yeah, I mean, all championships aren't created equal, right? I agree with you there. But um, I mean, if you're not thinking James Harden, I don't know what you're thinking. I mean, I think he's that guy that needs to win one to really solidify his career. I mean, he's a top 75 player of all time still, but I think that really would boost his career, him winning a championship and just him, what people like to call ring chasing after doing all that and just losing early would be, that wouldn't be a good look. I think Katie's another guy that To me, he's a top 10 NBA player probably all time, maybe 12. But I think that probably brings him into what, like five to seven, five to eight range. If he wins one with this team, I mean, as a seed, that's not very high at all, right? So I think that would do wonders for KD's legacy. And I know a lot of people look at those championships as kind of cheap. I don't. I don't personally. I think a championship is a championship. In his case, he was the best player on that team, Yeah, in my opinion. Even though Steph Curry was the face of the franchise, KD was the best player, and he won two there. So that was phenomenal, and I put a lot of value in those championships. But to win one outside of Golden State would do wonders, I think, for his legacy, even though he's still an all-time great.
0: Yeah, and I'm with you on KD being top 12, like unarguably, and then, you know, what it could do for him, three championships. I would assume if he wins a championship, he's going to be the finals MVP. So we would say three chips, three finals MVPs, uh, MVP, like yeah, he would, he would stamp and, and probably reach new wonders in a conversation about where he would be all time. I, I, I'm with you as far as who has the most pressure. It's gotta be James Harden. Like he's like you said. You talk about making moves in the past couple of years. Like you left Houston, went to Brooklyn. Uh, last year ended. You got he got hurt. You know Kyrie got hurt. Then you come into this year. We know the whole Kyrie situation. They kind of fell out uh, or whatever, and you wanted to go to Philly and whether that was, like, we know Daryl Morey is kind of the guy that got him to come to Philly, but, you know, you kind of voiced that you felt like that was the best situation, not Brooklyn, that that you could get a championship. You're playing with an MVP caliber player. If he doesn't win MVP this year, you're playing with an MVP candidate, a top two to three MVP candidate, and he's kind of been playing bad as of late, like, for for James Harden standards. Like, if you look at the numbers – yeah, he was averaging well, like, in the past month, like, 18 points a game, this, that, and the other, you know, uh, almost 10 assists. So, like, yeah, he wasn't playing terrible, but for James Harden standards, like, this is a guy that worked 27, 28 points a game a year, every year, almost 30 points pretty much every year. Like, he's a walking, averaging 30 points per game. So, I do think he has uh, all the pressure in the world to get it done. And like that. He needed to beat Toronto. Like I think if there was one player who had all the pressure in a first round series, it was him. Because just imagine if Philly lost in in a seven game series to Toronto and he did all that and gets bounced while not having played well. What do you think about Chris Paul? Like is, is is there pressure on Chris Paul to win a championship this year with this maybe being like his best last shot? At getting a championship, I know Phoenix is going to be good for years to come, but he's only getting older. So I would say this year is the best shot he's really ever had. When you talk about literally being on the best team in the NBA, uh, him being obviously a huge part of that. Is there pressure for Chris Paul to win it or... Is it like if he win one that enhances his legacy, but if he does, if he comes away with his time in, in Phoenix and doesn't win a championship, you won't look at him any type of different as far as all time or just how you look at uh, uh, his career as a success?
1: I mean, I think a championship would definitely help his career, but I don't think I would, like, point to this season and say – um, that it was a terrible detriment to his legacy. If he lost this year, you know, especially like if they make it all the way to the championship game, I think Harden's that guy, in my opinion.
0: Yeah. I think he's the one where if he doesn't have a deep playoff run with everything that he has around him, And I still think Harden will get bailed out a little bit because I think they'll put a lot of blame on doc rivers. I think if they come up with what whatever they consider short, because everybody you hear rumors about if they come up short, but like, what's their def, what's that team's definition of coming up short? Like, is it, yeah.
1: is it a conference
0: finals appearance or bust? Like, at the very least, like, do they need a conference finals appearance? Or if they lose to Miami in the next round in seven, is that like our season was an absolute failure? Like, you lost to the one seed in seven games, so I think it just depends. I think there's pressure on Jimmy Butler too, and mm. and I'm a Heat fan. But I do think there's pressure on Jimmy Butler. And I say this because he has a Jordan Kobe mentality. He's not nowhere near them talent wise. But, you know, Jordan and Kobe used to tell us all the time how hard they work. And we used to hear the stories about them being in the gym early, staying in later than everybody. Like they were gym rats. Jimmy Butler is that, too. And essentially, like when he came to Miami, they reached the finals uh, in the bubble year. And he kind of hasn't been the same player since then. Uh, Defensively, he's great. He's still an all-star player, but he was kind of supposed to be the answer. So then we bring in Kyle Lowry. Uh, We're we're hoping that, you know, we constantly hope that Bam Adebayo keeps improving what he does. But like, I think, and and like I said, I told you we were going to close it out like this, is I think the lack of offensive productivity from Jimmy Butler consistently in big games is why people wouldn't like put a stamp on Miami's the one seed and they're not the favorite to come out the East. Like you go over to the West, Phoenix is the one seed; They're the favorite to come out the West. Like a lot of people have them coming out of the Western conference where they're, you know, Phoenix is the majority of who you got. Some have them winning the championship where people who would say Miami are going to the, they they got Miami going to the finals. They're in a minority. Do you think that like that does apply some type of pressure on Jimmy Butler?
1: Yeah, I mean, all these guys have pressure, but I was just talking about the one when I think about who's that guy that needs the championship the most. I don't think Jimmy Butler is ranked all time like a James Harden, right? So I don't think he has the same type of pressure. Um, I think everybody's going to be talking about James Harden if he doesn't, especially if he doesn't play well and they lose like over the course of a series, I think that's going to be really tough on him.
0: Yeah, and like I said, I agree. Like, and it's just like when I look at the Miami Aspect like I even asked Max the same thing, and it's it goes to like offense productivity, is why, like, you know, I don't see them. I don't know if they can hang. I know they're great defensively, and they have an all time head coach. And like, I understand all those aspects, but like last year, it wasn't enough to get past Milwaukee. I know they went on to win the championship, but we had seen them, you know, eight months prior essentially match up great with Milwaukee. Both of these teams were pretty much the same team returning. And it was like a lopsided series and Miami got swept after that close game in game one. It wasn't close again. So you're looking at and I'm looking at offense. And I think the offense has to come through Jimmy Butler like he's supposed to be the best player. He's supposed to be that guy. He is Jimmy Buckets. And so it's going to take like bubble. We're going to need some bubble like performances. From him as we get deeper in the playoffs, if the Heat could get deep into the playoffs. And I'm looking at the Philly series, like he's going to have to go tick for tack a game or two with James Harden, bucket for bucket. And it's like, if he can't do that, then like Miami's not going to win the championship, obviously. And that's why I think like I'm looking at Jimmy Butler because why else, for any other reason, like what else would you say Miami doesn't do well to be considered a championship contender? And they're contenders, but they're like the third. Third favorite coming out of the Easter conference and they're the one seed like they were the best team in the East all year record wise, even played through all the injuries and stuff, the uh, ascendance of, of Tyler Hero. And you're like, ah, my, Miami's still probably the, they got the third best odds, even in a betting perspective. They got the third best odds. So I think it falls on uh, on Jimmy Butler.
1: If Duncan Robinson could play the way he played in game one, I mean, Miami Heat have a oh, great if chance to I can get Twitter. Duncan
0: Robinson to shoot like that, Give if he can shoot like that, four games every series. If I can get four games where he's hitting eight or nine threes, shooting, what, 90% from the three-point line? Well,
1: if you think about it, if he just gets four games over the course of the whole series, I mean, that's probably an extra win in each series. And that gives him a great chance, just if it's four wins in the whole playoffs, right? Like the four- like If he gives you one every yeah, series, every series, yeah, I mean that that'll be huge for them. So hopefully, he could get it together because he's had a tough season. And uh but Max Struess is really good, man. Actually, Max Struess, in my opinion, is better than Duncan Robinson. Just Duncan Robinson has more of a unique skill set that really fits the NBA. He's more of, He's more. He's more of a specialist than Duncan Rob. Uh, uh Max Struess, but as an all around player, Max is better in my opinion.
0: Yeah, and I think you know before we close out, just that you you mentioned Heat culture way earlier in the show. I think like Max Struess being a name, uh, you know, Gabe Vincent getting some minutes and like being a name. I think th- those undrafted guys that Miami, you know, year in and year out gets and, and makes names for them, and whether they succeed somewhere else, like that's what the Miami Heat do. That's what the Toronto Raptors do. Like you said, Golden State, San Antonio, like they have that type of culture where. Uh, Max Struce, we will get the best out of you in this system, in this situation. They get the best out of literally every player on the roster. they are 12 deep of guys who could play in a playoff rotation. But we also know once you get to the playoffs, you eight, nine-man rotation consistently. Uh, if, if you need to, you start digging and grabbing that 10th and maybe 11th guy if a couple people get into foul trouble. So I think that's going to be interesting to see, you know, when when Miami's in a close game, if they're in a close game with Atlanta, who Not down the stretch late. I think we know the five that would be on the court in the last two minutes in a close game. But who in that middle of the third quarter, like who's the guys getting the minutes? Are we going to have Max Struess playing quality minutes midway through the third quarter in a close game? Or is it, you know, more more minutes uh, from Duncan Robinson? So I think that's an aspect with Miami being so deep uh, that that would be something to pay attention to. But I think that more comes in the second round uh, when they match up against Philly. Because as we're recording, Philly blowing out Toronto again. So I think that series will be over in four or five, obviously, other injuries and stuff. But Combo, yeah. I appreciate your time. Uh, before you go, I just, you know, plug in your stuff. Let everybody know where they can follow you. Any projects you got coming up that you want to, you know, leak out to to Up in Flames and everybody that follows the show.
1: Well, Mo, th- thank you. Thank you for having me on your podcast. Uh, you can listen to Combo's Court wherever you listen to podcasts. That's the C O U R T. You can catch me on Instagram at one sue combo. That's O N E T W O C O C-O-M-B-O, M B O Twitter combos court. Same name as the podcast. And Mo, thanks again, man. It's hot in here with all these flames around us. You heard.
0: <laughs> hey, I appreciate you for coming on, man. Uh, definitely have to get you back on, you know, later down the line. Uh, you always welcome to come on up at flames, but I appreciate everybody for tuning in, listening as always. I'm your host, Mo Murphy. And on that note,